All right, we are here to uh, bring to a conclusion this series that we've been calling The Certainty. And it was great to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus together last week. It's a wonderful thing to see how it all is uh, coming together. I'm really glad for us that we get some hindsight to look at what the meaning was. Uh, The people that went through it, oh man, it was so confusing and so difficult. I'm doing an unusual thing in that we're bringing to a conclusion this series by uh, pointing to the beginning of Luke's next series, which we're not going to go into the whole thing. That's just kind of oddball, but we're going to be taking a look at the second part of Luke's writings, which is called Acts. You can take a look at your table of contents in the Bible and, and find Acts. He wrote Luke and Acts. In the section that we're going to be looking at together, there are two questions embedded in the chapter two, which we're going to be looking at today. And those two questions uh, are great questions to solve the mystery of what just happened. What does this all mean? And the second question is, what do we do now? And in the middle of the events in uh, Acts 2, Those two questions uh, come out with this uh, bewildering and confusing and fearful attitude because Peter explains what the resurrection means to a crowd. Now, there is uh, some strange and wild events that took place that was a surprise to the big crowds gathered uh, in Acts chapter 2. Timeline's important on this one. In Acts chapter 2, the timeline is clearly stated. They're at the Feast of Pentecost. So we're only 50 days from the day of Jesus' crucifixion. Just think about that. Just track back 50 days ago and imagine something as huge as the crucifixion taking place 50 days earlier. And then several days later, all this rumor is just flowing all throughout the region about he's risen, and you don't know what to do with that. And now we're at this point, just within 50 days, and then a new thing takes place that is just mind-blowing, and people don't know what to do with that. And that actually answers the questions, what does this all mean? And what are we supposed to do? And so we're going to look at those questions as the crowd asked it out of horror and out of fear, and then they're comforted by the answer, some of them, because they respond. And we're going to take a look at that real carefully, as carefully as I can do in the short time allotted. I've bitten off a great big chunk, and so I'm going to go into Jim Hammond teacher mode, and I hope that you'll be okay with that. And so you're going to need to get into your Bibles and kind of think this through with me. We're going to start in Acts 1 to set the tone here a little bit, starting at verse 3. Uh, Jesus presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So he had been presenting himself alive to the apostles for a period of 40 days. So it's only been a period of a few days since this other new weird event takes place that we're going to be reading about in a moment. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. Now he's speaking all of this from the Mount of Olives just before his ascension. But wait for the, the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about, 
For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So they're thinking, okay, whatever this thing is that you're describing as being baptized with the Holy Spirit is going to come here in a few days. And it's mysterious. And so they trek down the half mile from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem, to the upper room. The very upper room in which uh, so much took place, and they hang out and wait there. And it's not just the 12. There's 120. The inner core of all of the followers of Jesus are now gathered and praying and waiting and praying some more and waiting some more. One day, two days, three days, a week, waiting, as he said, for this promise to be fulfilled. And so we'll now jump to Acts 2. I'm going to summarize the weird event. It starts with a violent wind, and it's a localized violent wind, and they all feel it within the upper room. (laughs) And it's just noisy. It's so noisy that it attracts the crowds that have gathered for Pentecost. Now, you need to understand, crowds come from all over the dispersion. Jews have been dispersed abroad in country upon country upon country, and they're traveling back for the Feast of Pentecost. They're all inside Jerusalem. They find rooms for the night. They have friends or places that they make that work. They all rush out into the streets because of this strange noise that isn't normal because it was calm moments before, and they all head towards a noise, and they head out there. Within the room, the disciples see, not only hear and feel the wind, they see manifested above each disciple something that looks like, well, it's described as a a tongue of fire. So you picture a flame of something that the visual uh, hovering above the disciples. I believe only the disciples saw this. And then, because they're hearing the crowd and the hubbub outside, they come out to the streets to explain what's happening, and they're all talking. They get outside into the streets, and as they're all talking about what has happened, everybody from all these different countries don't know what to make of it because it's mystery, it's weird. They're all hearing it in the languages from the countries they've come from, and these Galileans don't know how to speak that language, and they're freaking out over it. And then Peter stands up with the 11. You expect me to say 10 because Judas is now killed himself, but they chose a replacement, so he stands up with the 11. You can read about the replacement early in chapter 1. And he begins to give answer to them. But here's the question that he's answering. Acts 2, 12 reads, they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? They have seen and heard something supernatural, something strange, weird, marvelous, if you put a positive spin on it, and they don't know what to make of it. Some are making jokes about it because they're so nervous about this weird thing they're looking at. Now, we're going to take a look at the explanation that Peter gives in a moment, but I want to skip to the end of his message to get these uh, important thematic considerations. Skipping to verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty, and that's the title of today's message. It is right with the theme of this whole series that we've been in called The Certainty. 
Luke started with the whole gospel of Luke saying he's writing so that you will know the certainty about which you've been instructed. And now Peter has said within his sermon, in the end, the conclusion of it, he says, Israel, know with certainty what are you supposed to know? That God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. That should get their attention. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. Oops. We just crucified the Lord and Messiah. That's the climax of his message. The very next verse leads to the very important very next question. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? So it would be important for us to go back to the sermon and figure out what in the world did Peter explain in such a way that they're absolutely convinced they have heard, they have believed, and now they're scared out of their wits that they just killed the Messiah. And they're convinced Peter is telling the truth then what do we do? They're going to be under the judgment of God and they know it unless they respond appropriately. And so, let's just package this closely together again. It's very hard to understand what was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus all about. And suddenly, Peter explains what it's all about and the very people who killed him are convinced he's right not only they're convinced he's right, they're saying, is there anything we can do to avoid being judged for this? And this is what we're getting into today. So I can't think of two more important questions for anybody to consider. What does this all mean, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? And what do I do about it? Is there any two questions you can think of that are more important for us to consider than that? And so we need to get a hold of Peter's message to see that this is speaking to us too, not just to those who killed him, because the entire crowd needs to know what is this all about and what do we need to do. So let's proceed to see what is this all about for us and what do we need to do. So... Peter begins to explain by sharing from his knowledge what all Jews know, prophecies from Scripture about their Messiah, and about some strange events that they're all looking forward to. This is one among a number of prophecies. I think of Ezekiel as the one that's my favorite, where God says, in the future, there's going to be a new covenant. In the future, I'm going to put my spirit in you, and and you're going to know what to do and what not to do by my spirit. You're going to know my commandments by my spirit. There's that prophecy. Well, that's not the Ezekiel passage is not what Peter picked. He picked one out of the prophet Joel. And he starts speaking. In the last days, this is verse 17 and 18, chapter 2. Joel, speaking for the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all people, men and women, sons and daughters, old and young. You jump to verse 21. In Joel's prophecy, he concludes with, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's also amazing prophecies about cataclysmic events in the heavens, which 
Even at the crucifixion, there was a darkening of the sun. There is earthquake. There is just the, the rumor mill in Jerusalem since 50 days previous was unstoppable. And people were just in this darkness of what happened there? And what about these rumors? Why can't they squash these rumors? And where, where is this body? And on and on it would go. And Peter stands up and is preaching the prophecy. And they're trying to figure out what it is that he's getting to. Verse 21, then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What Peter does is, remarkably, he connects this prophecy with Jesus himself, and he's, you heard the conclusion, he calls Jesus Lord and Messiah. And if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved, is where he's going with this. Take a look at verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. And he's not just speaking a Bible study. He's not just opening up Joel and reading it. He's saying things they already know, and he's saying it to an inner crowd who was there, You already know that God attested to this Jesus with signs and wonders and miracles and God has now accredited him with vindication. You thought he was evil and he was Lord and Messiah. And so at this point, we're ready for point one. Point number one is God endorsed Jesus publicly. God endorsed Jesus publicly. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him just as you yourselves know. There was miracles. Not a one among you denies that Jesus was a miracle worker. If that's the case, what happened? Here's what happened. This inner core of people changed from excited about the Messiah coming to shouting from one Palm Sunday to the entry of Jesus to shouting at the trial, crucify him, crucify him, because they bought into the labels that were ascribed to him by their leaders. Because he didn't just do miracles. He made incredible claims. He claimed to be one with the Father. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the one who has authority to forgive sins, and then he would do a miracle to prove it. He claimed to be somebody that from a label standpoint of their Jewish leaders, looking at a man who's claiming such claims, he can't claim to be equal with the Father. This is blasphemy. They're convinced it's blasphemy. So now looking back over the history of all these miracles, here's how they evaluate. And the rest of the crowd went with this evaluation. By the way, we've come through a remarkable year and we all have our evaluations. We end up putting whatever spin, whatever authority we want to listen to puts on whatever we've been through. Peter just unspun whatever spun they put on it. 
Here's the spin that they had on Jesus. The spin was, he cannot be good. He must be evil because he claimed to be equal with the Father. But what about these miracles? He must be doing it by the power of darkness. He can't be doing it by the power of God. He's doing it by the power of Beelzebul. The prince and the power of Satan himself. The only way he could be doing this is because he claims to be equal to God. He's but a man. We must kill him. We must kill him. They're all shouting, crucify him, crucify him, because he is evil. He's worthy of death. Besides that, he totally let us down. He is not conquering the Romans. That's not the kind of Messiah he is. This is obvious. He's evil. He's an imposter Messiah. And so they had the Romans crucify him. Why? They don't have jurisdiction. They can't crucify him for blasphemy because they are not a sovereign nation on their own. The Romans would not allow it. So they have to change the accusation from blasphemy to this. He claims to be king of the Jews. They put it over his cross. They said, don't put... He is the king of the Jews, which is what they put over his cross, but he claimed to be king of the Jews because that's funny. He's obviously wrong because he's dying there. Pilate says, what I've put, I've put. That's my loose translation. What I've put, I've put, and it's not changing. The king of the Jews. That's what he's officially crucified for. And now Peter is explaining what you thought was your accurate assessment based on your leader's labels was as far wrong as you could possibly, possibly be. You have just crucified the Lord and Messiah. Woohoo! You ever been that wrong? God endorsed Jesus publicly. Verse 23, though you had him killed, God had a plan. Verse 23 through 24, though you had him nailed to the cross, God raised him. Verse 25 through 28, David prophesied all about his resurrection. And then Peter quotes these famously messianic passages and applies it to Jesus himself. Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. And then in verse 31 and 32, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. And here's the clincher, verse 32. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. There's the clincher. This isn't just hearsay. This isn't just something that um, you've been rumoring about. We're all standing here today. He's been with us in and out, in and out, he just does the weirdest things, but we have seen him over and over again for a period of 40 days. We are all witnesses of this. They rest their case not on, you know, I just did a Bible study. You read it, so you need to believe it. They don't rest their case there. They rest it on this really happened. And we saw it. The event of the resurrection is the cornerstone of our faith. Did you know that the New Testament hasn't been written yet? And that very day, 3,000 people responded to what we're going to go into next about what they were supposed to do. And they were baptized. And the church 
launched like a rocket, took off with this movement that the rest of the, the Acts calls the way, which is really fascinating to me to call Christianity the way because they're following the man who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the whole documentation is documentation about what the apostles are doing, how through the power of the Holy Spirit, they're doing precisely the same things Jesus was doing. Miracles after miracles and all kinds of authority and power and raising the dead and things are taking place that only Jesus can do. And here the way is doing it and there's this amazing launch of the Christian movement before the New Testament was written. We need to make sure we get that embedded in our psyche. It's based on the real event and the evidence that those events point to. God endorsed Jesus publicly. Side note. Are you someone who endorses Jesus publicly? It's vogue in America, particularly now, to be silent about Jesus, even though you follow him. Here's what Jesus says, Luke 12, 8 through 9. And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. If you're private about your faith, this statement of Jesus should rattle your cage. You should be shaken up with this and shake out of the lethargy of trying to protect yourself. When Peter stands up with the eleven, he's standing before the very crowd that crucified Jesus. And he is endorsing Jesus publicly, come what may. He doesn't know how it's going to turn out. But he's going to speak out. Are we followers of Jesus? Let's endorse him publicly. Now don't be obnoxious about it. Peter tells us to be gentle. Give the reason for the hope that's within you. For anybody that shows any interest and ask you, what's going on? What is this about your life? Endorse him publicly. Point number two, God raised Jesus. Here's a quote for you. Unlike any other faith in the world, this movement took off within 50 days of the crucifixion of its founder because the evidence demanded a verdict that he had actually risen from the dead. There is no other faith like it where the events around which a movement is founded, within 50 days, blam, it changes the whole known empire with this catalyst rocket launch where it just spreads and spreads and spreads and spreads until pretty soon the very opposition is saying they're turning the world upside down and they're ready to try to stomp it out, whatever they can do to stomp it out. The very leaders who thought they had stomped out Jesus have something way bigger on their hands now than they ever thought possible. They thought it was over and it is just beginning. That's why I said the best explanation and the best conclusion we can bring to the gospel of Luke is the beginning. And we're 
in the beginning still of eternity. Every day is the beginning for us. And we have the beginning to celebrate that we are in the beginning of eternity. And I'm in. That's good news. God raised Jesus. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Verse 33, now he is exalted. I'm choosing to read out of NLT right here. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see in here today. So let's not forget, he's not just explaining the resurrection. He's taking the phenomena that they've just seen and they don't get, and they've witnessed something powerful and they don't understand. It's very mysterious, but they can't deny that they've just seen it happened. He's connecting that with a fulfillment of prophecy. This is prophesying that God is pouring out his Holy Spirit upon his people just as prophesied. You are witnessing history today, and this is connected to the resurrection of Jesus. This is what makes this possible. Let's slow this down. Resurrection is the only reason why we are able to receive the Holy Spirit. Without the death, burial, and resurrection, we are still back in the days of religion. But now because of the death, burial, and resurrection, we can enter into a personal and intimate relationship with God, our Father, through the Holy Spirit indwelling us. He says, you can have this experience also. Why? Because of Jesus who is Lord and Messiah, and the promise is now fulfilled. He's at the right hand of God, received the Holy Spirit. He's now pouring it out on us, and here is the movement. And we get to see if this movement does. Even then, they're going, what does this mean? What does this movement mean? Keep reading through Acts, and you see what the movement means. The longer we live this out, the more certain we get. This is a certainty. This changes everything. And that's what we're talking about. That's why when we look at the gospel through the lens of Acts, we have this 2020 hindsight. It's like, oh, I get it. That's why. And we need to get a hold of that. And if you're not quite getting it, just spend some time in Luke and Acts and see that the movement gives it meaning. In verse 33, Peter points out that God has vindicated Jesus by his resurrection, and he now sits with authority at the right hand of God. God gave him the promised Holy Spirit to pour out on all of us as you have just witnessed. So you can have this too, is implied, if something happens. And that's why they react in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So that that doesn't just drill down into your heart, hearing that the prophecies are fulfilled, this resurrection is true, we've all seen it, and you can know with certainty, this is for real, they have this immediate, now, it's... If you're not following me, you might think this immediate good news reaction. No, it's an immediate bad news reaction. Oh, no. Okay? So, here's the quote, because he just said, 
the phrase, know with certainty, the only thing that's certain for them is bad news at this point. The only thing that seemed certain to them was this, oh no, we are in big trouble. Hearing and believing alone was bad news until followed up by the rest of the roadmap. Now, I'm going to get to that roadmap in a second. We've been getting to this roadmap over and over and over again throughout this series. Not every week, but it is this roadmap of hearing, believing, living, knowing. We're going to see how that plays out as we continue here. So, God endorsed Jesus publicly. God raised Jesus. The next thing we run into is point number three, what should we do? So they have this bad news reaction, and verse 37 expresses it this way. When they heard this, that's the first piece of the roadmap, by the way, when they heard that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, that's what from the previous verse, they were pierced to the heart, so they heard and believed. That's the first two pieces of the roadmap. But instead of being good news, at this point, if you only stop there, listen carefully, if you only stop it, I've heard the truth, I believe the truth, if you stop there, you stop at bad news. Because if you don't respond with living and response, it's bad news. They heard, they believed, but they knew, what do we need to do? If you don't do anything about it, you're judged and they knew it what should we do so here's the roadmap: hearing believing living knowing the rest of today is all about what should we do as it relates to living the living response that is required if your believing is going to be good news, Peter gets into. If you don't have this response and you just kind of believe and you believe it's true because you heard, but your life looks nothing like you believe it, that's bad news to you, not good news to you. And this is what Peter says in terms of what's the answer to, what do we need to do? Verse 38, Peter replied, repent, and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's a remedy here, even for those who shouted, crucify him, crucify him. There's a remedy here, even those who are saying, he is wicked, he is evil, we reject him. There even is a remedy for that. But Jesus says there's only one thing there's not a remedy for, and that is if you reject the Holy Spirit himself. You can reject the Son of Man, misunderstand what he said and not believe it like these folks did and reject Jesus and turn around and be forgiven. But if the Holy Spirit does everything possible to bring you to the point of response and you refuse to respond, woe, woe, woe to you. Because now you're hardening your heart against the Holy Spirit asking you to respond. And this is the response that Peter says is the normative response when you come to the place of hearing and believing. The next response is repentance. Repent and be baptized, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what should we do? A, repent. This is the first living response, the first thing you do. What is repentance? It's a decision to change 
It's a decision to change response, and it starts in your believing, in your knowing, in your reorientation of how you evaluated. This thing that you used as your worldview evaluation tool, that this makes sense of this, and this makes sense of this, and that's why I've rejected this, when that gets flipped, you go, oh my, I need to rearrange everything I do, everything about my life to this new information that Jesus is Lord. He's the Messiah. That's repentance. And that's why it looks like a 180 degree turn from turning away from every competing loyalty and pledging your allegiance to Jesus alone for all of life's meaning. Let me say that again. Turning away from every competing loyalty which you're trying to make meaning out of life and all these competing loyalties, I'm loyal to this and loyal to that to try to make meaning of my life, if it's competing for meaning your life to turn your life over to Jesus, turn away from those competing loyalties and pledge your allegiance to Jesus alone for meaning in life and begin to follow him. That's repentance. Be on your outline. What happens next is baptism. That's a covenant ceremony. It's a ceremony where every covenant has ceremonies. We're going to be doing a series uh, sometime soon, as soon as I can put it together, on covenant. And we're going to be getting to more of this. But baptism is basically saying, I identify with what Jesus did on the cross As he was buried, I'm identifying with his death. I'm going to bury my old life. And I'm going to accept his death in place of me, bury my old life. And as he was raised out of the tomb, I'm going to allow his spirit to raise me into a new life. I'm going to become a new creature and allow his spirit to lead my life. I'm letting go of competing loyalties and following Jesus. And my life will look like Ongoing repentance too. Let go of loyalties, follow Jesus. Let go of loyalties, follow Jesus. Let go of this other stuff that I'm trying to give meaning to my life. It's pulling me away, follow Jesus. Everything's pulling me away from Jesus, follow Jesus. He's the answer. He's the Lord and Messiah of my life. But you have to start with your own pledge, your own promise, because Jesus has pledged himself to you. He says, will you be mine? You say, yes, I will be yours. And baptism states that publicly. Repent, be baptized, and see, receive the gift. This vindicated, resurrected Jesus will pour out his power through his spirit as you have seen in us if you too will enter into the new covenant he established. Acts 2.39 reads, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Now I know that Jesus, in, just before he's ascended, said it's all going to start here. It's going to move out in, eccentric, in concentric circles outward until it is going to be completely global to all who are far off. But let me just say this. I take this also very... Let me just put it this way. He says, and all of you who are far off, folks, we are living in a nation that's so far off. 
We are living in a culture that's so far off. We get far off and we don't even know how far off we are. It's like we are living in Babylon, in the middle of Babylon, and living for the culture of Babylon, and we don't even know it. But this promise is for us who are far off from God. All we need to do is repent, be baptized, and receive the gift that turns everything around, puts new life into us, allows that new life to permeate, germinate, enter into the soil of our hearts and throughout our being in such a way that it changes everything about the fruit of our lives so that it looks like the character and goodness of God himself. As the bad fruit just begins to drop off because we're just dropping it off in repentance and looking to God himself to fill us with that love and that joy and that peace and the goodness and the kindness that comes from the Spirit of God. I'm taking sign-ups. <laughs> Start with Jesus is next Sunday. And if you have not been immersed, that's what baptism means, by your decision to say yes to Jesus, dropping all of the competing loyalties to say, I pledge my life to Jesus. It's going to be all about him. If you've never done that for real, this is the time. We can answer questions, interact together about how do you start with Jesus? Well, you got to start there, and we'll be talking about that. You can sign up, and we'll be scheduling baptisms. I hope it's you. Next week, we have a guest speaker. Our friend Derek Bocamp will be here next week. And he's got a great message for us. He's given me a little bit of a chance to get this next series up and running and going. I'm excited for next week. Hope to see you back next week. But what are you going to do today? How are you going to respond? Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are hard hit with a no-nonsense truth from Peter that each of us, by our sin, is compliant with those who nailed Jesus to the cross. Because it's for our sins that he died. And until we declare that we are sinners and agree with Jesus' viewpoint, we stand opposed to him. And so we want to agree with him and say, Amen, you're right, I'm a sinner. I need you and your forgiveness and what you've done. I can't do this alone. On my own, I keep doing the very thing I don't want to do, and it's wrong, and I know it. I keep doing it. I need you, Lord Jesus, and your spirit to take up residence in me and start changing me from the inside out. God, I want to be a part of this movement of the way, the truth, and the life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray because it's in Jesus that it's made possible. Amen. God bless you. If you have a prayer need, we're going to be a prayer team to the left of the stage. Happy to see you over there.